Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin, and he is Aaron McIntyre. We have a lot going on on today's show, which we will get to in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about what's going to happen in our overtime today. We are going to record that right after today's program. In our overtime today, and if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, it's just 10 bucks a month. You don't have to worry about big tech censorship. I... I I, I don't know if YouTube has removed Jason Whitlock's Vax special yet. I know as of Friday, they had not. I have a post up on my Facebook page this morning to test Facebook's censorship uh, because those are the two biggest social media platforms by far and the two biggest by far that our customers and base that you guys access. I mean, YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world behind only Google. Uh, Not coincidentally, they're also the two that have had the most censorship all along. I mean, I was even saying under the old Twitter ownership that yes, it's terrible, but I was still getting to say more freely the truth there than I was on these other platforms, remember? So I have a post up on Facebook to test whether the Overton window there on the jab has been opened or not. I don't know how much you guys had a chance to pay attention to more and more data over the weekend, some of which will be in Aaron's montage. We have clearly hit a critical mass here, similar to the lab leak theory. That the, There's just too much obviousness now. They, they, they can't hold on to it. And it's a little bit like trying to keep a beach ball underwater. You can do it for only so long before it eventually, you can't squeeze it and hold it down there any further but I'm not sure and I want to get this data to you as soon as possible so it's just 10 bucks a month to be a blaze tv subscriber today in the overtime I'm going to make a very simple won't take more than two minutes I'll make a very simple two-minute case with data and numbers that in terms of a net benefit Contrary to his claim that he saved 100 million lives, the COVID jab as a net benefit is a, is a negative. That the cure was worse than the disease. That Operation Warp Speed was just a medical failure before we even get to the tyranny that it spawned and continues to spawn. If you heard what some of the things that they were talking about in Davos last week? That this is a colossal blunder. That those who signed off on it and supported it at best were useful idiots for the very system and swamp they were sent to office to drain. Or, at worst, collaborators. I don't know the answer. But the data on this is clear now, and I'm going to make this case in two minutes or less in the overtime today, that... This thing is far deadlier than COVID itself was. Not only a net negative benefit, not only that, I'm not only going to make that case. I'm going to lay out the case that it was deadlier than COVID. I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to come off the top rope, drop an elbow, Jimmy Snooker style. Then I'm going to climb back up there. All right. And um, do a leg drop. I'm going to do to the COVID jab what Rome did to Jean Wycliffe. 
I'm going to burn it at the stake, and then I'm going to dig up its ashes, and I'm going to incinerate them as well. So that is in today's overtime. You do not want to miss it. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. I will record that with Todd and Aaron right after today's show for Blaze TV subscribers at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, this is what you want to do to avoid censorship. I mean, this is this is our model to not be beholden to just producing content that would get us monetization and approval from the people trying to end our way of life. It's just to deliver it to you, peer-to-peer, one-on-one, and you decide whether you think it's valuable enough for you to have that content for you to pay 10 bucks a month for it. blazetv.com slash dace. And with that... Of course, next hour, we'll have Ask Me Anything at the bottom of this hour. Bob Vanderplotz will join us. Uh, and then we begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by It's Only a Matter of Time. After repeatedly assuring the public the search for more misplaced classified documents was complete. You should assume that it's been completed, yes. After the search concluded last night, that search was completed last night. It was revealed the FBI actually searched Joe Biden's Delaware residence and found six more instances of mishandled classified documents. Some of those documents date back to when Biden was a senator. According to the New York Times, so believe it your own risk, Biden Chief of Staff Ron Klain will be stepping down from his role in the White House in the coming weeks. Only six people have been arrested after Antifa attempted to burn the city of Atlanta, Georgia to the ground. Rioting began when hundreds gathered on Saturday night to oppose the construction of an Atlanta Police Department training facility. Earlier in the week, an Antifa protester shot a police officer at the construction site. As part of a separate protest, the officer returned fire, killing the Antifa fool. All six who were arrested and the one shot and killed were white, just FYI. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens says most of those involved weren't even from Georgia. And they don't represent the voices of Atlanta. And to those, and some of them were found with explosives on them. Uh, you heard that correctly, explosives. Anyway, the whole escapade provided us yet another classic moment on CNN. Well, I think that there's a real blurring of the lines in, in, in the use of the word violence. Is property destruction violence? Um, to some people, it certainly is. In Monterey Park, California, a gunman opened fire on a Lunar New Year festival, killing 10. The gunman was identified as 72-year-old Hu Ken Tren, who killed himself by gunshot in the aftermath. You've probably heard by now Diamond of the viral internet duo Diamond and Silk died suddenly recently at the age of 51. At her funeral, Silk made these comments right in front of a watching Donald Trump. I want to say to everybody is don't you dare call me a conspiracy theorist because I saw it happen. I saw how it happened. I was there when it happened and it happened suddenly. I want America to wake up and pay attention. Something ain't right. There's some confusion about whether Silk is blaming the jab itself on Diamond's death or whether she's blaming vaccine shedding. Regardless, here's Donald Trump's remarks. I don't believe, you know, they told me, I said, give me a little time because I have a lot of people waiting for me back in a place called Palm Beach, Florida. They said, give me a little time. What do you think it'll take? Oh, about 15, 20 minutes, sir, in and out. I said, well, it could take longer. 
These are a little longer than 15 minutes, right? I'm serious. I thought I knew them both. I didn't. I knew, I knew Diamond, but I didn't know Silk at all. I just learned about Silk. Checking in on Australia. Good morning, Ashlyn. What are health experts saying? Jane, they say the data is concerning and that's because it shows within the first eight months of 2022, more than 10,200 Australians died due to heart-related disease and that number is considered 17% higher than what would be considered normal. Anyway, checking in on Canada. Yeah, I didn't know about this either until last year, but it turns out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season and like you said most of Canada is uh, getting down off of a of a big uh, hump of, of flu so now we're starting to see more strokes you may know who Scott Adams is he's the creator of the Dilbert comic strip and comments on political matters routinely for the past two years he's been a complete and total whore for the COVID jabs here he is this weekend here's what's going to happen I'm going to tell you that the people who the anti-vaxxers appear to be right. Somebody who did not get vaccinated, got a little Omicron, or maybe even a worse one, but recovered. Now you've got natural immunity, and you have no vaccination in you. Can we all agree that that was the winning path? The Texas Family Project sent reporter Taylor Hansen in to cover another all-ages drag brunch, and this is what they found. By the way, if you're watching this at work for some reason, probably best to skip forward or drop us and reconnect in about a minute or so. You've been given fair warning. Three, two, one. For those of you listening, that's a drag queen who is dancing provocatively, wearing basically nothing on his crotch while a young child watches on. And finally, this is your brain. And this is your brain on bugs. And that's what happened while we were away. If we can't count on these people, if we can't count on the spirit of the age anymore to drop enough acid to make compelling music for us to enjoy, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I mean, we, you guys can't even drop acid, smoke enough dope, to give me a dark side of the moon. Now you're going to give me that on top of the rest of your demonic agenda. That's not sweetening the offer. That's going the other direction. If we can't even count on these people to give us entertainment of what use are they on any level then? Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, which is the greatest protein bar ever made. I promise you, if you compare it with any other protein bar on the market, you will agree. 
Uh, you won't believe how good it tastes, every flavor, and they got plenty packed with flavor, loaded, covered with real chocolate, uh, packed with protein, not loaded up with carbs, calories, sugars, and fillers. You won't believe how good these are. And they also don't just do well in comparison with those in their space. They compare pretty favorably with a lot of the candy bars on the market as well. So this is the time of year where we have, we have resolutions. Don't make those. Just change your lifestyle. Make substitutions. But if you had a prodigious sweet tooth like I do, here's your worthwhile substitute, maybe even an upgrade. All right, get 15% off right now. You won't believe that these things are all 160 calories or less. Many of them are 140 calories or less. You won't believe it. When you go to built.com for Built Bar and use my last name, Dace, as your promo code to get 15% off, built.com for Built Bar, 15% off if you use the promo code Dace at built.com. Let us get to the montage. And... What is the day today, January 23rd, 2023? Correct. Correct. Okay. I, I think we might know in six to eight months, this might be the moment that we look back on and say, here was the inflection point in the race for the 2024 GOP presidential primary. Here is, here's why Donald Trump is either pulling away or clearly falling behind. And you get these in campaigns. You get inflection points, Malcolm Gladwell's tipping points, where... The framework changes, momentum shifts, right? I go back to the 2016 cycle. And when Donald Trump was the first to truly go ahead and go to the mattresses on the immigration issue, and that, that changed the whole dynamics of the race. He had spent several months coming to places like Iowa and New Hampshire talking about China and trade policy, and people were entertained by his shtick, but found it to be a very little substance and did not care. It just didn't really resonate with them on an existential level. But about six months later, that spring and summer, when he went to the mattresses on the immigration issue, the issue that the Republican Party had worked very hard to betray its base on, maybe more than any other issue. And that's saying something. And that is saying something. Yeah. Marco Rubio and the Gang of Eight. I, I still remember him calling me on the phone to sell me on this, on the grounds that we had to support this or we'd never do well with the Hispanic vote ever again. I'm like, we have to do a Democrat voter drive. Republicans have to do better. We can only do better with Hispanics by doing a Democrat voter drive. I, I don't understand that. Needless to say, it was not a sufficient explanation. Even early on in the Cruz campaign, Ted was a little hesitant about going to the mattresses on the issue. Given his family history, right? His fam- I mean, his family immigrated here from Cuba to avoid uh, first um, 
I always forget Castro's predecessor, whose name begins with a B, uh, and then Castro. Batista, his mother, his father fled Batista and his mother fled uh, Castro. By that time, we had been outflanked. The guy with the New York values was now the furthest, furthest right on the issue. And for the first time, we saw a Republican on a national platform drop the term anchor babies. I'll still never forget that. I'm like, these are the, these are the things we say on my show. <laughs> All right. Now they're being said by the guy that's the leading GOP presidential candidate. And that's probably why he's the leading GOP presidential candidate. That was an inflection point. That was a tipping point. He had found the issue that framed and shaped and moved an electorate. That was the one. That was the issue where you had a unique coalition of people. You had people that aren't traditional Republicans, but are in the working class who had seen their jobs disappear because of illegals, had seen their, wa- their wages diminish. Stop me if, if, if you know where I'm going with this. Had seen their wages diminish because of illegal immigration. You're establishing a parallel. Here. Yeah. And so you had both the immigration hawks, the, the Daniel Horowitzes and the Stephen Millers in the GOP base. Who they're like, their ears perk up. And then you have this other group of working class people who aren't traditional Republicans, but have been greatly harmed by this issue. A state like Iowa, with a lot of migrant labor, and what that's done to some of the schools and the communities in our state, to just haul these people in as chattel that don't necessarily have an interest in being a part of the state they're just here for a job and they just get hauled out afterwards what that does with crime lots of other things history doesn't just repeat it also rhymes now we are sitting here in 2023 heading into a presidential cycle And now it is Donald Trump who doesn't want to address the issue that is burning with passion and a lack of representation at the same time, begging for someone to champion with a unique coalition of people who don't typically vote Republican on top of people who do. I've made a note of this before because it still blows me away every time I see it. This issue has created the Naomi Wolf-Steve Bannon coalition. Did you have that on your bingo card, Todd? Was that on your politics bingo card? It was not. Did anybody in the audience have that on their politics bingo card? Bingo! I had that one. I had the Naomi Wolf-Steve Bannon political coalition, but here we are. It's right next to Mother Teresa Ron Jeremy. It's next to that It is politics, as Billy Shakespeare once put it makes for strange bedfellows indeed but here we are and so at this funeral over the weekend and i'm going to do my best here even having done this dance with donald trump many times 
Is it a joke? Is it taken out of context? What's the full clip? I've, I've got people waiting for me. This funeral is taking too long. And I barely know the deceased. Didn't really know her at all. I, I mean, I'm just... I'm, I'm just... No, he knew the deceased. No, he, knew. he doesn't know Oh, that's know right. The, the, yeah. the one that was berating him. Yes. The one that was confronting him to his face. That's the one he didn't know. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna... It is hard. But I'm just gonna set that aside. Bad boy. Okay. I'm just gonna set that aside. And... I'll say this and then move on. When it comes time for my funeral, I hope neither one of those two things are said. And we'll just move on from there. Because in all seriousness, there is nothing more important in the world right now than stopping these jabs. Nothing. The Biden White House announced today it is considering making boosters an annual thing, which essentially means we are planning annual poisonings, a perennial escalation of excess deaths, mysterious cardiac ailments. There, there is nothing in the world right now. This is a democide. What is a democide? It is the targeting for extinction of peaceful citizens by a government. That's what it is. Citizens targeted by their own government, peaceful citizens, for no rationale at all. They're of no threat. The data from all over the world, Australia can't figure out, as Aaron pointed out in his montage, where are, where's all these heart attacks coming from? Stroke season. Stroke season. Who knew? All their lives. You know, you and I are, I'm going to be 50 later this year. I think you're already there, aren't you? Yeah. Do you remember here, stroke season ever being a thing growing I, up? I do not. We've been on this planet, you and I, about a half a century apiece. Never heard of stroke season before? Never. Never been told, hey, kids, curfew's earlier tonight. It's stroke season out there. No? Didn't you no. hear that one? No. Lock your doors at night. It's stroke season. No? No. No? Yeah. There's literally nothing in the world more important right now than stopping these things. They are the authors of more deaths and more tyranny than any singular mechanism at work in this world today are these injections. And even though I'm a DeSantis guy, I don't, have I done much to hide that over the last year plus? No, I don't do much to hide much from you, frankly. Um, I'm not sitting here hoping Trump just continues to look ridiculous on the issue. Because there's a lot of people taking these things on his recommendation. People like, you know, Silk. How many lives would it save for him to come to Jesus? It probably would make him impossible to beat in a Republican presidential primary too. So be it. That's saving these lives as galaxies more important than fanboying over a presidential primary. Between two guys who, if we're really brutally honest with each other, 
Our opinions of each are largely driven by subjectivity, except for one thing, right? You can subjectively say, I like Trump for these reasons better than DeSantis. You can subjectively say, I like DeSantis better than Trump for these reasons. Objectively, what is the one thing, objective fact, that separates the two? What's the one? All things COVID and the jab. That's right. That's the only one. Take that off the table, and now we're really doing a a lot of subjectivity. I happen to think it's time to generationally turn the page. I might be wrong. I'm not willing to fight with many of you in the audience who disagree with me over something like that. We don't tend to fight over subjective things on this show. We tend to not care how much we offend or alienate you over objective things, right? And so objectively, he is, and I couldn't be more precise in my wording, Donald Trump is dead wrong about this. And now he has been confronted to his face by both a dead body and her eulogy. To me, if this, if this doesn't do it, I, I can't even, I don't want to know what level of body count it will take to calculate what would. We need his voice. We need his advocacy. We have to stop these shots. They're the deadliest mechanism at work in the world today on multiple fronts. From birth rates to, your, to immune compromise to just the literal transactional carnage they cause to the funding and depths of resources they provide enemies of freedom and liberty the world over. The entire endeavor is demonic and it's got his name on it. And we need him to see that. And stop being a useful idiot for these people. Thank God, literally, that Diamond stood up there and said what she did. And right to his face, pray that he hears it. It is more, far more, galaxies more, infinitely more important that Donald Trump with one of the largest platforms in the world and his signature on the death warrants with this program. comes to Jesus on this right now, then whoever the hell takes the nominee speech in, what is it, Milwaukee? Is that where the next convention is, I think? Infinitely more important. Infinitely more. Seven percent of Americans reported to Trump's favorite pollster, Rasmussen. That they were victims of a, quote, serious I'm sorry, quote, major adverse event from the COVID jabs. When you do the math, that translates to 12 million people, folks. If you extrapolated that globally, it'd be 330 million people. That would be the fourth largest nation on earth. On earth. We have to stop these shots. 
We need to get his attention. And if we do, then this will be the second straight contested Republican primary where he took control of an issue that was glaring out there to a large base of people that lacked agency and representation and became their champion and could ride it all the way to the White House. We've seen it before. He can do it again. If he doesn't, though, then it shall, and I believe will, should, and I believe will, sink ultimately his campaign. In the fourth quarter of 2022, COVID deaths in the United States were 72% lower than the COVID deaths in America were in the fourth quarter of 2021, and yet excess deaths across the country are up about, on average, 10% minimum. How do you explain that? Ain't long COVID, I can promise you that. Nothing COVID-related, I can promise you that. Except for the policies that came out of it. I think it is possible we may look back at this moment in time, later this year, when the die is sort of cast on the race for who will be the next Republican nominee for president. And we'll look back on this moment as this is when Trump came to Jesus on, an, on this issue and ended up dusting the competition. Or this is the moment where his ego would not permit him that and ended up being his undoing. Or no more. Last year, because of people like you, we here at The Blaze partnered with our friends over at Preborn to save about 50,000 baby lives. So we thank you for that and all of you who made that possible. Uh, Preborn has saved well over 200,000 babies over the course of the history of their ministry. This year, our goal is to save even more. Although in the end, I think our goal should be to have to save a lot less. And that's one of the things that I like about what Preborn does. Uh, there are so many great pro-life ministries out there, but this, this approach is very comprehensive. First of all, they are ready for the street fight now in a post-row world. We're really doing hand-to-hand combat, metaphorically speaking. Um, one mom, one baby at a time. And they do that. Uh, and what they have found is an overwhelming majority of mothers when they are when they confirm that their baby has a heartbeat, when they see that ultrasound, are, are convicted that that is another life they are carrying and they don't go forward with the abortion. But they also know that it's not that's not an easy life. And you have to. Is one of the things uh, they like to say around here with our upcoming guest, Bob Vanderplatz and his ministry, the family leader, they like to, they, they understand you have to love them both. It's the aftercare they provide mothers, the maternity care from car seats to counseling, to baby food, et cetera, all of that free of charge because of donations from people like us. And if you want to join that army of compassion and love, you can do so uh, by saying the keyword baby, when you dial pound two fifty on your mobile phone or just go to preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that is preborn.com slash Steve. Speaking of which, let's welcome our good friend Bob Interplatz back to the program. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing really well. By the way, great cause that you just promoted there. Uh, and I'm glad they're partnering with your show. Uh, you guys are teaming to save babies' lives. Uh, thank you. 
and save the mamas too without question and this one start you know this one hits close yeah. home close to home to me i mean i'm a kid to a 15 year old mom you bet yeah that wasn't an easy life in 1974 and i'm not sure how much easier it is in 2023 or 24 for that yeah. matter I just had the opportunity to speak at our church yesterday a little bit on this issue but yeah roe v wade's a policy issue but this is still a heart issue and this is a time for the body of christ to rise up be the hands and feet Amen. Uh, not just for that baby to be delivered but for that mom that dad mm-hmm. that entire family uh, but come alongside of them at this time. So I didn't tell you what we're going to talk about today because I want to hit you with a cold. Well, great. All right. I got a call last night from an old, I guess we'll say friend of ours. All right. Former Des Moines Register turned uh, Bloomberg News chief political reporter Jennifer Jacobs called me last night. <laughs> she called me too. Did she call you yeah, too? She yeah, she did. Had so a good conversation with Jennifer. I, I, I knew it must be close to Iowa caucus season. I typically only hear from her about every you know three, four, or seven, eight years, depending on if there's a competitive cycle on the right or not, right? And so we got into a conversation on the state of play with the uh, with the Iowa caucus cycle. And there are two things that I really wanted to stress to her. And both you and I have known her for a long time, a long time. And, um, and you know me, I was very blunt and she kept asking me, is this off the record? Do you mind being clear? I'm like, <laughs> nope, I'm, I don't do off the record conversations with anybody. If anything I say, it's yeah. what I think. Well, you, you know? and I are consistent so far. She asked me too, what can be on the record? Author, I said, Hey, everything I tell you can be on the record. So there were, there were two dynamics at play that I told her, and, you know, and you understand Iowa. She does. She used to live here, used to yeah. work here. She knows the environment very well. Um, that there are two angles that I think at your level of national media are either just not being noticed and, or, or because, frankly, I think a lot of media entities are compromised on this issue because of the amount of money they took from certain entities, mm-hmm. unwilling to contemplate or discuss. And they, I think, will have a huge say in um, what will eventually happen here. The first was I told her that this is the first time and and I have been heavily involved in every Republican Iowa caucus cycle since 2008, as of you. This is the first time that there is a statewide elected Republican official whose opinion actually would matter to our base. Oh, without question. There, there, there are, our base their base doesn't care what Charles Grassley thinks. Didn't care what Joni Ernst thought even before last year. Certainly doesn't care now. Okay. Didn't care what Terry Branstead thought. That's why he wanted to get rid of the straw poll so many years because they kept reminding him of that at the straw poll and not supporting <laughs> the kind of candidates that he preferred. Right. Our base just and, and you kind of have become in many respects a stand in proxy for where in, in most states. Traditionally, the the statewide politician with the most conservative street cred would be in the space that you have inhabited really since 2008. Fair? You've kind of, you've stood in that space. This is the first time. Now, I don't know her well enough to know if she will put her thumb on the scale. And I said this to Jennifer. She has spent a lot of political capital on the school choice issue. I mean, in primaries and everything else, putting her thumb on the scale. She may decide getting involved in Trump v. DeSantis is, you know, that's going to be too hot of a potato. And she's probably... Probably on the short list of VP for either one of those guys if they're you the bet. president. So what's the point, right? She, I don't know her well enough. And I also, I know, and I told her, I know that her and Bob have uh, have a good relationship. I have a hard time believing they'd support opposite candidates, you know. But that is a that is a fresh dynamic that I don't think 
has been discussed enough in the media sizing up this environment is this is the first time in many, many years that a statewide politician on the Republican side in the Iowa caucuses could help frame or shape the eventual outcome if they so desired. Fair? you think or not? Well, it's very fair. First of all, Governor Kim Reynolds, obviously, you know, she's beloved by our base. Uh, she's beloved in the state of Iowa by those who even don't even typically support Republicans. They still like her because she kept Iowa open for business. Uh, she treated Iowans like adults. Uh, she did a lot of things right during the pandemic, kept the schools open, and now she's championing school choice. Uh, she has a lot of street cred as governor. But Steve, one of the reasons I was able to to kind of garner this position of being in that space, so to speak, was a lot of the politicians under the Republican Party umbrella, and that's where Governor Kim Reynolds is, they've kind of taken a pledge. Uh, we're just going to be open and fair, bring all the candidates in, give them an open and fair playing field, and that way Iowans will be treated that way, and we'll let people like Bob and others weigh in on who they should support. That said... Governor Kim Reynolds is not typical, I'm under your Republican umbrella, so therefore I'm going to play and dance the way you want me to play and dance. I think she wants to welcome everybody to Iowa. Matter of fact, she said that in her uh, inaugural address. She wants to welcome all candidates who have a vision of moving this country forward to come to Iowa, regardless of, of where you're from. And so that's what she wants to do. But to say when it gets, say, a year from now, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit before a year from now, maybe uh, right after the first of the year, 2024, if she says, listen, uh, I've weighed all the candidates. It's time to come in and let Iowans know where do I stand in this? Mm -hmm. Who will I be voting for? Who would I encourage you to vote for? I could see her do that. Um, obviously, she, she and I have not talked about you know, where she plans on weighing in at this point. I think her weighing in right now is just saying, uh, come one, come all, let's have a conversation. So you agree overall, though, oh, that, without, that is an influence that, if exercised, yeah. could be yeah. influential? Oh, without question. And, and you're right. Uh, I don't believe Senator Joni Ernst is going to have a huge play here, if any. I don't think Senator Grassley is. Um, and so, therefore, you're just really limited. Quite honestly, I think a congressman like Randy Feenstra might have more of a say just because of the the geographics that he represents northwest iowa, northwest iowa. high concentration he, of he might be the other there. elected official who would have you know a great degree of play uh with his constituents which is steve king's district and right. my advice to the cruise campaign when i joined it in 2016 is there were really only two endorsements in iowa that mattered yours statewide and steve king's in northwest <laughs> iowa yeah. and so to you know to aim to try to see if you can f mount a campaign that would put those two guys on the same uh, side, which they eventually did, and then ended up getting more votes than anybody did in the history of the Iowa caucuses. Hmm. Here's the other issue that I said is going unnoticed. And that is, that is the poisonous jab. We have reached beyond a critical mass of data on this in just the last few days. The amount of data on this from just this weekend was extraordinary. We could do an entire show on it if we wanted to, mm -hmm. but it would be just repeating everything in this audience knows. And I told Jennifer, I said, I watched Rick Perry's campaign disintegrate in about 48 hours over an issue at the time that I didn't even know much about, okay? I didn't know what Gardasil was or any of that stuff, okay? <laughs> I wasn't involved in these kind of debates. But once it became known that he tried to impose on boys and girls alike in Texas a Gardasil HPV vaccine, 
I mean, I, I, I watched that along with in, uh, his overall clumsy start as a candidate. But, I mean, he came, he went from... There's three reasons. I remember two. Oh, <laughs> yes. That, yes, the clumsy start. That's yes. right. The, that speech he gave in New Hampshire. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. Over, I mean, that's how he went from the guy on the white horse that was coming to save us from Mitt Romney. He was our nominee. To, you know, what in the Sam Hill is this? And, mm-hmm. a, and literally that happened in Iowa in 48 hours. And and that health care freedom and autonomy group has only grown Without in question. power and influence and volume in the COVID aftermath. Kim, with her policies, even though she's maybe not someone that speaks directly to that group of people with her policies, though, like the ones you just mentioned during mm-hmm. COVID, she empowered those people all the more. And as as the data on the jab mounts and, and this week, you've got Trump telling David Brody at CBN News, I saved 100 million people and I don't think there's any safety concerns or anything at all. You know, we just played a clip from the diamond and silk uh, from is it was it silk that passed away? Correct. No. Because Diamond, Diamond did, from Diamond that passed away, and Silk stands up there and confronts him with the jab to his face. And then he gets up there and speaks and basically says, well, I didn't really know her, that the girl, that woman, the woman, I didn't really know uh, uh, Silk that well. And, you know, I've got people waiting for me, you know, back at Palm, Palm Beach. I said, that is an issue, especially when the other guy, when really the only other candidate at this point that I could conceive could win this thing is is calling for grand juries and Department of Health investigations and permanent defunding of these mandates at the state house level. And I mean, that contrast is going to be, well, kind of like the contrast of Trump going to the mattresses on immigration versus all the tepid stuff from the rest of the GOP candidates. And you saw what that did for him in the 2016 mm-hmm. cycle, right? That I, that, that, and, and I said to her, frankly, I'll just say this to you because you and I have known each other for a long time. I don't know if yours and other major outlets are going to be capable of adequately reporting on that as a major angle, or you're just going to sit here on caucus night and, and act like you're all shocked because by that by the outcome, because you all took so much damn advertising money from the from the manufacturers of these poisons that you may have edicts that tell you you can't talk about these stories, you can't write about these stories. I don't know. In 2018, Reuters was was telling us that Johnson and Johnson was loading up its baby powder with asbestos. Nowadays, they're they just run columns called commercials for Johnson and Johnson. So, you know, I, but that in this state absolutely could be a major driving issue. Without question. Matter of fact, the art of political warfare is to take your opponent's strength, perceived strength and make it their weakness. Mm-hmm. Trump believes that the vaccine and uh, Operation Warp Speed is his strength. And he's saying, I've claimed it. He's, that's why he doubled down on David Brody. I've saved hundreds, hundreds of millions of lives because of what I did. And you got DeSantis over here saying, uh, we're going to put these guys on trial. Uh, we're going to start investigating. We're going to start doing these type of things. And so you got DeSantis saying, OK, that's your perceived your perceived strength or you want to double down your strength we're going to make that your weakness and in the iowa caucus you doggone right and it's not even about it is about the jab but it goes beyond the jab uh people want to be treated like adults they didn't want to have this thing forced on them uh trump's got a lot of things that were not republican during that pandemic he forced down the businesses he closed down the businesses he empowered an unelected bureaucratic named dr fauci to put all this stuff on us he's the one who said everybody's got to take the jab where kim Reynolds, the difference was she treated people like adults so you got desantis 
who is leveraging what he believes that he sees not only in the Iowa caucuses, but I think he sees it in the broader primary, but I think maybe even a broader population, a general population, that people do want to be treated like adults on this, and they want the facts to be known on it. The other one, though, Steve, is is the unforced air. I mean, it's the unforced air when he's going on Brody doubling down on this one, number one. But number two is when he's throwing the pro-life community under the bus, calling evangelicals disloyal. I just did an interview with CBS News about evangelicals being disloyal. I said, it's probably evangelicals being wise. We're taught in scripture, be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. In 2016, when you're the nominee running against Hillary Clinton, that's a way different environment than 2024. And you want to debate the past and how you got shafted on everything. And that's going to be your campaign versus about a vision for the future. So I think what I've said before here is I believe the former president is off to a really bad start on a lot of issues. I think you bring up this one as well. And in the Iowa caucuses, it could be a game stopper, even amongst those people wearing mega hats, going to mega rallies, because a lot of them, Mary, he got booed, right? When, when, he, when he talked about the vaccine that yeah. won the rallies, he, yeah. that's, he got openly booed at that. So uh, I, I think you're right. And I think... Um, I think a lot of the stuff we I did not talk about the jab with Jennifer Jacobs, but a lot of the other things I did talk about. And yeah, DeSantis right now. The only thing let me let me caution this for all the DeSantis supporters out there, and Steve included. The other thing that Rick Perry made a big mistake on, well before, you know, I forgot the third thing at a at a debate in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. well before the forced vaccinations on kids, is he came in like I'm going to be the nominee and I don't have to play this game the way other people have to play the game. And so therefore, I mean, it was like, no, he was being overly consulted by all the political mercenaries. Saw the same thing with Scott Walker. Oh, mercenaries out there. They were just yep. and like, no, no, you don't need to talk to them. You don't want them. We're going to run our show. Not, I'm not going to do retail politics. I'm not going to shake yeah. hands. I'm not going to talk to people. I'm not going to do the yeah. Lions yeah. Club in Newton, yeah. Iowa. I'm not doing that stuff. Yeah. I'm telling you what, for uh, Governor Ron DeSantis or any other candidate looking to get in, uh, help me help you. Uh, do not listen to those consultants. You got to play this game the way the game was meant to be played, and I think you it, you have a real shot at success at this point. I think that is an excellent point. Um, one final thing: I got less than a minute. I also told Jennifer that I didn't think this thing would actually get going <laughs> until later this summer because I don't believe DeSantis will get in until after the legislative legislative session ends in Florida, which I think is in June or early July. Agree or disagree? I agree. He's got a big platform. He's the governor of a, of a big state. There's no reason for him to get right in right now. If you're Asa Hutchison and others, you have to get in. But if you're Governor Ron DeSantis, keep doing what you're doing. Asa Hutchinson doesn't have to get in at any point. <coughs> Excuse me. Unless he just unless he just has decided Steve Dace needs someone to beat the snot out of on a show for a couple of hours a day. If that is the case, then Asa Hutchinson, brother, the water, come on in. The water is just fine. I've got time to kill. I'm happy to oblige. You guys have quick thoughts in that conversation? Uh, DeSantis won't make the mistake of just listening to consultants. Did you see him at the Chiefs game yesterday? No, I didn't. Actually, he's gone. He's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. That's where he's from. All the Chiefs people knew him. He's going and he's walking on the sidelines. People are shaking his hand. They just need a bigger place in Iowa. The coffee shops aren't going to be big enough to hold him. Hmm. We'll come back. Your turn to ask me anything when we do.
and we're back with hour two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast ask me anything coming up here in a moment remember i am steve dace he's todd Erz, and he's aaron mcintyre and you are you and you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show steve at stevedace.com D-E-A-C-E is how to spell the last name. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter, and also Instagram and TikTok. And then look for me over on Truth Social as well, uh, at Real Steve Dace there. That's at Real Steve Dace, Steve Dace there. Those of you that listen to the podcast, thank you so much. If you've yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or follow. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one. We also appreciate our friends over at Eden Pure with their Thunderstorm Air Purifier. That was a big hit with our audience last year when they came on board and you guys started trying the product, tried it in my own home and it worked like a charm. Still use it as a matter of fact. Filterless air filtering. You're not going to be swapping out filters for as long as the mechanism works. So you pay for those out of pocket or the, the time. They've got proprietary technology that I asked them to explain to me how that works. They did. And I didn't understand it. I just know that it works. All right. And I also know that right now you can save big with this product as well. Get their three pack for whole home protection, all three units. So you can have one on every level or in your garage, wherever else you want to have one. Uh, You get them all for about $200 or just under 200 bucks. A lot of other competitors in this space are charging about $600, if not more. So get a three-pack for under $200, and we'll even throw in free shipping. Free shipping and a three-pack for under $200. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com and use the code Steve3 at checkout, that's your discount code, Steve3 at EdenPureDeals.com. It is that time again here on a Monday. Time for you to ask me anything. Questions coming this week from our followers over on MeWe. You know the drill. Todd curates the questions, determines which ones he thinks should be answered. Uh, I have not seen any of them in advance. And then, Aaron, you go ahead and you do your best to blindside me, brother. So you're up. All right. We will start with a five-star question. This is from MMLPSS, who says, My husband and I are avid moviegoers. Is it just a coincidence that they are pushing transhumanism, high-tech, and new jabs? They're also burying us in fantasy, Marvel, and sci-fi. The previews at the last movie we saw were exclusively and literally unreal with very few exceptions there doesn't seem to be much reality to watch is this an effort to normalize what's coming fascinating question i don't know it may be i mean you know growing up in the 70s the bionic woman the six million dollar man space 1999 um you had Star Trek in circulation, um, you know, uh, via reruns, uh, Star Wars. I mean, there was a huge science fiction element that dominated a lot in the 70s, but you also had some of the greatest films from a realism standpoint when you get into things like The Godfather and other films from that era too, Apocalypse Now. Um, I can tell you, as someone that's on on the producer side of this with a movie about to come out um, right now, post COVID, the only two types of films that are, that are still playing well at the box office are horror films 
and event films, and a lot of the event films these days are made by Marvel. Dramas, um, you know, I mean, Stephen King came out with, uh, or Stephen King, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Steven Spielberg came out with West Side Story, not this Christmas, but last Christmas. That's one of the most popular, famous musicals in America's cinematic history. It's got attached to it the most successful director in American cinematic history. That would kind of seem to be, you know, guaranteed money, right? It wasn't. Uh, it did not perform well at the box office at all. Um, you're I, from in the, the 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 final two years before COVID. There were more horror movies released than any other genre. Seventy five. I probably sound like a guy that's been doing marketing research for uh, upcoming horror film. That's why I know all this data. All right. It looks like that you're going to see even even higher percentage of movies in theaters be horror films in the next year or two. Because post-COVID, I think a lot of people have decided I can watch the Downton Abbey movie at home. Pay 20 bucks, pause it if I have to go to the bathroom. I don't have to pay, you know, another 20 bucks for a bucket of corn. You know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and given the fact that I can go to Walmart right now. And buy a a nice and a nice brand name like a Vizio or a Samsung. I mean, these are good, solid brand name technology producers. I can go to Walmart right now and for five hundred bucks, maybe six hundred, walk out of there with a sixty-five, seventy-inch Vizio or Samsung TV. What? What? How much different is the Downton Abbey movie or Knives Out? You know, I'm just how much different is that movie in my basement or in my room in a dark room and on a 65 inch TV? And you know, you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. compared to the cost of going to a movie and everything else. And so I do think some of that is reflected in whether it's a big event film like a Top Gun or a Marvel movie or a horror film. We are we are seeing a lot. Of, and I would put the kids movies, you know, like the Pixar films in the in the event film category we are seeing uh, a lot of other genres are not doing well at the box office post-covid people just got used to streaming them and watching them at home and realized they could there's this the cinematic experience for those kinds of movies is not much different than watching in their house so that may have something to do with the trailers that you're saying i also would not dismiss though what you're talking about either i wouldn't dismiss that either i might even add another worldview angle and 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 that is in, in, in some respects, like, like Superman, for example, when he was created, Superman was created by two young Jewish guys named Jerry Siegel and Joel, and, 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 uh, Joel Schuster, right? Did I have that right? I know Jerry Siegel's right. I have the other name wrong. Um, they meant for it to be sort of a secular, Christ, Christical Messiah character with a mosaic origin story. Sent up, like Moses was sent up a river, you know, to avoid the persecution of a doomed civilization. He's, you see all the parallels, right? Mm-hmm. What we are seeing now, as we become increasingly post-Christian as a society, is you're almost seeing that genre delve into these are the, this is the new pagan pantheon. Like the MCU is the new Olympus. You see, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. That now they're not, um, now they're not borrowing from tales of old or um, the transcendent traditions within the West. 
but they are returning and to pre-Western civilization transcendent traditions. Like Zeus was a major figure in the last Thor movie, for example, and they introduced Hercules as well. So, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss what you're saying, but I would also tell you that films that are out of the fantasy realm or the horror realm are not doing well at the box office post COVID. Next question. Next, we will go to Steve, who says, since COVID and my primary care physician refused to treat me other than call me when you can't breathe and we'll get you into the ER, I don't trust my primary care physician at all, but I don't know how to find one I can trust. Any suggestions how to find a local primary care physician that doesn't bow to the uh, AMA's Iron Fist, the American Medical Association? Great question. One I get a lot. Um, there's a couple of online outlets that I would direct direct you to that that might have connections where this is concerned. We had Dr. Harvey Risch on the show last week. He formed a, the kind of co-op you're looking for, um, a telemed co-op with Peter McCullough, someone who our audience here knows very well. Um, the wellness company is what it's called. Go to twc.health. That's TWC.health. Also, somebody that you and our audience got to know the last couple of years, um, who's a native Iowan, um, is uh, Molly James, who was one of the original New York City frontline doctors against COVID. Um, and she formed her own clinic in response to what she saw. So you could go to jamesclinic.com. That's jamesclinic.com. And you could at least right away or relatively right away be seen by somebody even if it's you know digitally over zoom or telemed uh, somebody who isn't sold out to as you put it and i think adequately the ama's iron fist on a local level a good place to start nothing is foolproof nothing is foolproof let me say this again nothing is foolproof but a good a good place in general to start is look for places that, uh, that call themselves integrative health, integrative health clinics. Because a lot, of those, a lot of times, those are places where people believe in traditional and preventative medicine. Those who believe in traditional and preventative medicine are far less inclined to, to succumb to the AMA's iron fist, as you put it, than those who are not. Right away, they're shattering the paradigm by by engaging in preventative medicine, as opposed to the modern Western healthcare system, which is really a sick care system. It, it they didn't they didn't tell you about vitamin D, and and the Israeli study that found about seventy percent of those who had to be hospitalized with COVID nineteen were vitamin D deficient. They didn't tell you about that because they didn't know, but because they did. I mean, if 70% of COVID hospitalizations were vitamin D deficient, and all of a sudden we had a massive vitamin D awareness campaign and not as many people were vitamin D deficient, what would we have also had a lot less of? COVID hospitalizations. There's no money to be made in vitamin D. You can go get uh, 5,000 IU tablets at Target right now for about 10 bucks, a pack of 100 no money to be made of that. 
Just like there was no money to be made in hydroxychloroquine and being repurposed, there was no money to be made in ivermectin being repurposed. There was a crap ton of money to be made in repurposing a cancer drug with a black box warning named Redemsevir. Tons of money in that. So you're, look for places that would describe themselves as integrative where that is concerned because they're going to be more inclined to practice good old-fashioned healthcare medicine um, with an emphasis on prevention. You want to add anything to that at all? I'd just say, even if you find those places, and I pray you do, everybody needs to look themselves in the mirror and answer this. Even had all the things you just laid out, Steve, hadn't happened to the degree that they were stifled, Fauci could have laughed at them, said they were stupid all along, but let's say they were still available. Let's say you could still, there are plenty of doctors out there who weren't choked off on social media. You heard about them. They said, I wouldn't do it this way. I wouldn't take uh, the vaccine. I would take vitamin D. I would take hydroxychloroquine. You could get it. Everybody be honest with yourself. Which road would you have taken? Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, a lot of this is a you problem. And it's... It's because of how you were conditioned. You're, you, you have got to be ready for something that's vastly different than what you've come to know in terms of definitions of medicine. And I know before Steve even come along, when you got healthy, that's what you had to do. Yeah. And you sought out new people. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, what, what they were telling me 15 years ago and, you know, the incident rates and the danger rates of things like gastric bypass and gastric sleeves was a lot higher then than it is now. But they would have said, they would have just told me 15 years ago, yeah, you're nearly 400 pounds, you're beyond help. You just need gastric bypass, just, take, just get surgery. I mean, the idea of doing this the old-fashioned way, um, again, there's not, there's not nearly as much money to be made by going to a gym five days a week and paying them as opposed to paying them to, you know, remove large portions of your intestine or stomach. And then all the aftercare and everything else that comes along. And then, of course, they've got great ideas and suggestions for the vitamins and stuff and mm -hmm. that you should take. You see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. they created an, you created your own cottage industry. I mean, that's, that's why we're doing the body aff affirming thing now. Affirm people being that obese. Yeah. Then when they then when the inevitability of, of what that does to your health occurs, they're there with a surgery or a pill or a regimen. Sick care. It's a sick care system. There isn't money to be made in people being healthy. Plenty of money to be made in people being sick. It's a sick care system. And a lot of people like they like going to the doctor and just getting on the assembly line. Yeah. Just process me. Tell me what I need. It you, unless you are willing to truly own your own health, this clinic no matter even if you find it and it's the best one in the country is going to be more challenging than you're willing to dig in on. Agreed. Joe is next, who says, could the fertility complications caused by the jabs lead to the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 4.1? And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Why did you choose this question? Well, uh, or are you just at the point you're just no. grabbing any prophecy question, no, no, no. even if you don't know what it's referring to, me just because we, you want to damage me? Me, we overall <laughs> is a different crowd, and I dig that about them. And let's face it, we've uh, this dystopian uh, notions are exactly what I mean. You just got done talking about that 
today there's no more important issue than taking care of this jab. The reasons why are multifold. It's not just myocarditis. It's like, think about every important organ in the body and how it might destroy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the movie, remember that movie? It was, uh, what, uh, Children of Men, where they just, pe- people weren't producing anymore? Mm-hmm. I, this is as dystopian as it gets. I will say this in general, and I've said it before. I'll say it once more. <clears throat> If you believe and ascribe to a what is traditionally categorized as a premillennial dispensational view of the end of days, if you if you ascribe yourself to that, there has never been a period in time in history where that chain of events could possibly have been achieved before right now, before right now. The main mechanism by which the world is being conditioned to accept such a paradigm is this jab. So if that's your, if that's your position, um, if that's the if you if you firmly believe in that one, never before in all of human history could what that theory presents be achieved realistically until right now. And I'll just leave it at that. Next, Jason says, is the Crowder Daily Wire fight separating the culture warriors from the future Fox News types? The left has been throwing away or throwing money to win the culture wars for years, while the right still runs it like a money-making business and gives up the culture to safeguard the money. Also, are podcasting and social media careers trapping the most well-spoken and convicted conservatives from running for office where they have real power? Can we start treating conservative media as the minor leagues and start calling some of those big-name ID conservatives to run for an office that fits their name ID level? Can I take the last one first, just because that these, one hasn't been asked a lot, and we I think the other one kind of had, the first part kind of These are actually two different questions from the same guy, but I like both of okay. them. So I, I, I like them both, too. Um, but the, the second one, I think, is more unique. Right? I mean, a lot of people are talking about the first question mm-hmm. right now, so let's just, let's start with the second one, because I think that's the unique one. I have, I have wrestled with this on a personal level. Where could I really do much good? Or where could I do more good? And soon, in the next few years, I won't have any children at home. My oldest is married. My next oldest is graduating from high school this year. My youngest is uh, a sophomore. But, I mean, he'll turn 16 in a month. He'll have a driver's license. He'll get a car this spring. He's already got a job. He's already got a girlfriend. You know, I mean, he's... You remember what it was like when we were that age. I mean, he's pretty independent right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and so... This is how I have game theoried this out. In my view, the only position where I believe I could have more power and influence than a platform of this magnitude or greater provides me. And if I think that about that about a magnitude of my platform, then I obviously think about the same thing if I had the magnitude of platform that Glenn Beck has, Matt Walsh has, Ben Shapiro has, Dan Bongino has. We don't have that magnitude of a platform yet we would be the the next step down okay in my view given the urgency of the hour 
the only position I am tempted to leave this job for and run for is governor or some form of an executive position where immediate power could be executed. Hence the executing or executive branch. Okay. Now that's my, that's, that's me, you know, um, it right now, it looks like I lost my argument. Thankfully with my buddy, Chip Roy, looks like I lost that argument prior to the last year. Kind of felt like I maybe won that argument, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can just, I won't speak for chip. I can just tell you as his friend, a lot of private frustration, you know, head against wall. And that's when he was in the majority. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, now he feels like he's playing offense now. Now he's, now he's like, I'll just, now he's like, you know, Steve Rogers, I can do this all day. He wasn't necessarily like that a few years ago. And I don't think, I don't think we have the time right now to, to have a bunch of backbenchers kind of working their way up through the system for 10 years. Like we need our Ted Cruz's and Rand Paul's to be challenging Mitch McConnell or building a caucus to challenge Mitch McConnell for majority Senate Republican leader tomorrow. We need, we need that like tomorrow. Okay. So I look at, I look at governor as a position where that level of immediate influence would, would rival the impact it could have of what a show like this at maximum output could do. And you see those kinds of examples in, for example, somebody like Ron DeSantis. So that interests me, you know? Now, does it interest me to the point of leaving the show and running? Right now, no. You know, in a couple of years, like if Kim Reynolds were to decide she didn't want to run for another term, I don't know. I'm, I might think about it. Then I got to find out if the wife is thinking about it too, you know? But uh, yeah, those, I will say at the very least, these are the kinds of conversations we need to have on the right more often to prove that we're not an industry, but a movement. So I really liked that question. Um, the first question you asked I did an Instagram live on Friday and I got asked about this and I gave a little bit more of a detailed answer on this than I have on the show. So let me tell you what I said on, on that Instagram live and I'll say it here on the show. I worked with Steven Crowder from 2015 until about a month ago. I never met him, never had a single personal conversation with him. Not once. We had one direct message conversation via Twitter at his initiative several years before CRTV was even formed. Okay, so I don't know him at all. Um, When I went out to Burbank to begin the storyboarding process for the Nefarious film, um, I went out there to, while I was out there, I went out to the Daily Wire when they were still in LA. Uh, I went out to the Daily Wire studios to do an interview with Michael Knowles and Jeremy Boring was there that day and I met him briefly so i don't know either one of these two individuals personally i can't i can't speak to the way they do business i can't speak to my own interactions you know you have to de- you have to be careful with reputations sometimes they get developed because people are just frankly jealous and bitter you know so i i can't i can't take a personal side here that's why i tell you that i just negotiated what i think is a very fair and rewarding contract for my show 
that included a substantial increase in revenue for my company. The total value of that deal is about 5% of what they were debating between Stephen and Jeremy. So I don't know the people involved personally enough to take a position on, you know, whose character and reputation I trust more. The dollar amounts they were discussing are things I just can't even wrap my mind around. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you haven't seen me take like a real strong position on this. I will tell you this though, the the argument they're having is a, is a stand-in for the argument that it, that exists throughout our industry, on both ends. If you if you it, it, take it from Stephen Stephen's perspective, I built this massive platform. I bring with me a massive audience. And you want to you want to you want to bill me for the audience I'm going to bring you. And that you then you want me to conform under potential censorship restrictions of people who hate us. Am I sympathetic to that argument? Sure. Because I'm a content producer. Guess what I also am though? A business owner. I just have a few employees. Imagine having well over 100 like Jeremy does. And a lot of them, the audience never sees or hears from, right? There are people behind the camera. They need health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. They, got, they got mouths to feed, bills to pay, right? Mm-hmm. And a guy comes in here and he wants me, he wants $50 million. And he doesn't want to be restricted. He doesn't want a restriction on how many, on the, on the amount of shows to produce, what he can say, or how we monetize the show. What's, how am I protected here? I mean, how do I, if I don't know how many shows we're going to make and I don't know how we're going to monetize it, then I'm, I'm, in my view, I'm the one assuming all the risk. I think they're actually, from what I've under, from what I understand of their argument, I think they both have very valid points. And the reason why is because we are trapped as a, as a movement. We all gravitated to social media in the last decade because it was a way for us to get our content to you directly away from the stigma and the censorship of corporate media outlets. All of a sudden, Donald Trump used that social media to get elected president and pressure was brought to bear on these mechanisms in Silicon Valley to now begin punishing people like us. Well, we've already got these embedded business models. These, 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 are, these are not speedboats. They're, they're aircraft carriers. Those aren't easy to turn out in the middle of the open ocean, are they? Right. And all of a sudden we're being told now, um, do a massive U-turn and do everything differently because your monetization model are the people that are trying to censor us. And oh, by the way, though, if you want to go to a Rumble, if you want to go to a Locals, you want to go to one of these alternative platforms, understand that most of your audience will leave, will not go with you and remain on Facebook and YouTube because they're just accustomed to getting their, that content that way from you. So that puts us in a no man's land. We're trapped on one hand that the, the vehicles that you guys get, get, us, get our content from more than any other are the ones that want to censor us the most. But then that also then means you, that the stuff you really want us to talk about and want us to say are the things that get us to the point that from a business standpoint, we can't sustain the massive infrastructure it takes to pull this kind of stuff off. That's, 
I don't know what the solution is. I just I just thought, you know, I, I want to make sure everybody understands that it's not as simple as just choosing up sides here. Because I think both of them have very valid points from what I have seen working in this industry for the last decade. It's, it's a conundrum right now. It's a little bit like, well, I'll tell you what Stephen and I talked about. We were both going independent. I was determining whether to go with a radio network, Salem. He was determined whether to go on his own to YouTube. He went on his own. I went to Salem. He ended up being right. My company was concerned that enough people weren't on YouTube yet that we would miss a bunch of listeners. So we went back to terrestrial radio for one last go around. Wrong call. But a lot of us were making that call in 2011 and 2012, right? Wi-Fi in your car and all that stuff was not happening yet. We knew that it was all going to be digital soon, but we didn't want to go there too soon because we'd leave our audiences behind who are still listening to terrestrial radio. Same thing's happening here. We all know we can't do business with Facebook and YouTube much longer. We all know this. The problem is we can't leave those platforms too soon because we'll leave all of our customers behind and go out of business. So... It's kind of this Mexican standoff here, and everybody's kind of looking at each other, you know? What's the line that you always say, Todd, from uh, The Hunt for Red October? The best part of chicken is knowing when to blink. We're all kind of looking at each other out here in these submarines in the open sea, wondering who's going to blink first, who's going to do this first, you know? We all know it needs to be done, but it's not easy to do when you have a massive payroll and a lot of people's livelihoods at stake. So, and Stephen does too. It's, yeah, like 20 employees. So I just... I want to make sure you understand, since there's been so much talk about this, the broader implications of this beyond just I'm Team Jeremy and Team Crowder. There's a lot more to it than that. I promise you. More in a moment. Did you know a majority of U.S. pork production comes from a company with Chinese ownership? what why not let the country that is our lone rival in the world let them produce about 80 percent of our antibiotics then then get shocked and amazed when we don't have amoxicillin readily available why not have them make a bunch of our food too sounds like a great plan no it's not not a good plan at all unless the plan is sabotage then it's a great plan if the plan is survival, uh, a sustainable economy, a sustainable way of life, then you might want to follow a plan like our friends over at Moik. Good old-fashioned farm-to-table food farming and eaten with grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and more delivered straight to your door because the family farm and the family fisherman still does it better. All right? Plus, They also throw in free filet mignon in every order you make for up to a year. Free free filet mignon in every order you make for up to a year when you go to moinkbox.com slash Steve. M-O-I-N-K for moinkbox.com slash Steve. Once again, moinkbox.com slash Steve. Free filet mignon in every order you make for up for a year at moinkbox.com slash Steve. Let's continue on with our Ask Me Anything. Aaron. I swear, every time you have a Moink Box read, it's always in the last segment of the show. When I'm most hungry at, at that point of the day, I'm like, yes, give me all the Moink I boxes. wonder if they are strategically placing their ad there. That'd be smart if Give they me were. all the Moink Boxes. Yes. Uh, we will continue to Denise, who says... The House seems to be on a better path forward. However, they won't be able to get it through the Senate. Is the same thing going to happen 
as when Ryan was speaker and they passed all those bills to abolish Obamacare, but couldn't get it through the Senate because it was Democrat majority. And then Republicans took majority and presidency. And all of a sudden they couldn't get nothing to pass in both houses that Trump would have surely signed into law. It won't be quite that bad because I think now you'll get actual things that matter. Like they weren't even repealing Obamacare, remember before. <laughs> okay. They were, they were, these were fake repeals. I mean, one of my all time f- favorite moments in my career is when I had members of Congress I am friends with telling me that they've got Trump supporters calling their office to complain. Why won't you help President Trump repeal Obamacare when the bill that Paul Ryan and McConnell were working on wasn't going to repeal Obamacare? But Trump was telling them that this was the repeal Obamacare bill. This was the bill where they were going to get rid of the... um, the corporate mandates. Do you remember this? This was their original plan. Do yeah. you remember this, Todd? Yeah. It was like, what could we do? It's like the GOP consultants got together and said, you know what? It's like they got together. <laughs> what could we do to fulfill every Democrat talking point that's ever been spoken against the Republican Party for the last 25 years? Here's what we'll do. We will get rid of the corporate mandates on Obamacare, but we'll still keep the individual ones. So we'll punish individuals. Punish the little guy, but we'll let the corporations off scot-free. That was their original Obamacare bill. I don't believe that stuff's going to happen now because the margins are too slim. Remember what I told you the day after the election. Two things can be true at once. We can be very disappointed that more of our countrymen did not line up to say someone I, this is one way to have my voice heard about the direction of the country and the evil we are seeing and voted for a bunch of Republicans that we all know and would prove to us later on didn't deserve our vote. Right. I said that. Right. OK, to be disappointed by that. Was I disappointed by that? I was very disappointed by that. And trust me, I hate these Republicans more than almost all of you do. OK, but even I was disappointed. But then remember, I also told you this. You're going to get better action out of the House now with these slim majorities because they don't have the numbers to hide. They can't massage a nine-seat majority. Everyone's getting on the record. You saw that right away with the speaker fight. You saw that right away. If we had seen the red wave that we had wanted to see, you would not have seen the speaker fight that you ended up seeing. No way. No how. So, because of that, you won't get sham, sham bills. You'll get good bills that then have no hope of passing because of the Senate. The question becomes later in the year, and anticipating that this may be the case, this is why McConnell and Schumer et al. got together and had that lame duck session where they basically took the budget bills off the table until the third quarter of this year. Why did they do that? Because what is the one place, where do all appropriations, according to the Constitution, where do all appropriations begin, Todd? House. House. Which means in any era... What's the number one leverage point that the House of Representatives has? The budget. And they knew that. So just in case, now I don't think that they thought the crazies, our friends, were going to get as far pushing McCarthy as they did. But just in case, they left themselves a, a, a poison pill, an antidote. And that antidote was, just in case we're wrong and the crazies actually do get something done for a change, we will make it so that much of the year of 2023 will go by without the House having any budget leverage. And that's what the lame duck session was about. The real test will come later in the fall 
when they have to get that, figure out how to fund this thing again. And will our friends, the crazies, because truth is crazy to people who hate truth, will they now threaten to bring the system to its knees over funding a government with these amount of irresponsibilities like they did over the speaker fight? And those are things we're going to learn in about nine months. This makes me think of one more thing. Uh, have you spent much time thinking about how, you just mentioned earlier on the show this is the first time in history this is possible with the jab yeah how much of this was possible uniquely because obamacare was passed and both psychologically and formally in terms of how independence was lost by practitioners because of obamacare perfect yeah yeah we had to have obamacare first before we yep. had a biomedical fascist state correct right on the money we we had to we had to get people used to um having uh, covering uh, um cervix uh exams for men real men i'm not like not this i'm this, yeah, is, this is not yeah. not trans stuff like men yeah. were actually going to pay for pap smears and their health insurance plan and and that's, group rates and community pricing and all that stuff that was in obamacare that's to kind of haul example. you all into one paradigm you're not an individual you're not a patient anymore you're a file with a with with a with a you know with a group that you're associated with either individually as a community or your job yeah. all right all that had to be created first and then, and, and, and that got your, that got your, the email, the one we got a few minutes ago, but it's primary care physician. Mm -hmm. Obamacare conditioned your PCP to no longer treat you as a patient, right. but just consult the government guidelines yes. on what, how, on how, on how to treat you and what to treat you with. And if that had not occurred, no way they could have as quickly and, and as deftly instituted this biomedical fascist state as they did on the fly. Right on the money, Todd. Great observation. Next is from Rob. If you honestly believe that the only thing that can save us is revival, why not completely turn your show into a real show about Jesus instead of a political show with some faith mixed in? I would argue that's exactly what I did. Yeah. That's, that's what I did. Am I missing something? I think no. he's missing a few things. Okay, I, just, I mean, that's that's... Wanted to see that's exactly what you do with it. That's ex that's exactly what we did. Completely agree. That's, I don't. That's what we did. The number of testimonies we get on this show, and I, I just get them individually. So again, I know Steve gets a hundred times more. Just like, uh, thank you guys. Uh, I'd be. I would have been. I would have been lost spiritually without you on COVID. People. Just, one just said Steve Day saved the Steve Day show saved my life. I had a close friend of mine saying I was just like, I, I was living in terror and, and fear uh, because of COVID and you guys woke me up. Uh, the same is true on a faith front. Um, yeah, I don't, this is, you're making a question like this. You're making the perfect, the enemy of the good. Yeah. I think maybe I mean, go to, we, this is not church. I don't know if you know, go to church. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, the, the the show is not church, but it, it absolutely is about Jesus. It's a ministry. Yes. It, it, it is a ministry. I mean, the show's about a biblical worldview. We just apply it in a broader context than explicitly religious programming does. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's a time and a place for it. But what we what we need more of a time and a place right now, we, we think culturally on the show, is a broader application of Jesus and a biblical worldview than just strictly with religious programming. 
Um, and so that's what we have always, that's what we've always set out to do. I'm not someone who believes Christian, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Christianity is a religion of relationship. Okay. It's absolutely a religion. Okay. It's a religion of relationship though. All right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a distinction with a difference. So the whole, can, I'm not, I'm not saying we're falling for that canard. I absolutely believe there is a place for explicit religious programming and catechesis and in ecclesiastical matters. And I spend a not insignificant amount of time of my time in my, my free time indulging in endeavoring in said manners uh, matters, which is why I go to church almost every week if I can. Okay. So, but, um, we do do what you do, just what you want us to do, just not explicitly in what is known as traditional religious programming, but in a broader construct. I, w- I don't know if this applies to Rob or not. So I will just, if you are listening to this program primarily for entertainment, you're missing the point. Now, I hope primarily we are entertaining because otherwise no one would listen to us. Mm-hmm. But that is not the primary mission of our show. I hope we're entertaining on a day-to-day basis, whether it's the Dead Pet Society or otherwise. <laughs> but that's not the primary. I hope that's not the primary reason you're seeking out this this kind of program. This is a great segue. I've got one more uh, partner to tell you about. And I'm going to do it now because it's a perfect segue to what we were just saying. When I met before Christmas with the folks who run Constitution Wealth, that's that's their thing. These are, these are hardcore believers, Christian conservatives, and, and now they, they, and, and they want to use, they want to merge, they want to fuse their faith with their giftedness. They're gifted in the area, in the era, or in the area of wealth building and finance and portfolio and investment. Now they want to merge their biblical worldview with their gifts into a broader context than just explicitly ecclesiastically driven religious programming, which... I have no problem with, and like I said a minute ago, I consume a not insignificant amount of that in my own free time for my own spiritual growth, formation, and edification. But there's more than just that explicit. I'm out of the Abraham Kuyper mold, okay? There's not a square inch of this earth that Christ does not say that's mine. And one of them includes what we do with our money. So if you want to invest your money in a way that builds not just wealth, but the kingdom, if you want to do that, that's what our friends at Constitution Wealth do. These guys are very serious about this. We'll get them on the show here soon because I think you guys would absolutely love these guys. ConstitutionWealth.com slash Steve is where you want to go. Get a free consultation. Won't cost you anything to get a free consultation and you'll get a chance to, the passion and fire these guys have is a perfect match for our show constitutionwealth.com slash steve you want to invest in a way to kingdom impact the financial landscape of america and the world go to constitutionwealth.com slash steve moving on we go next to ray who says can you weigh in on the debate between christians in the pro-life movement and the feminists in the pro-life movement the feminists believe that women are the second victims in an abortion, whereas the Christians want equal protection under the law, meaning that abortion would be charged a homicide accordingly. The pro-life organizations that are run by feminists who opposed a Louisiana law last year and put forth bad Kansas referendum. Where do you stand? Is the que- Are you asking me if abortion should be criminalized as a homicide. Is that the point blank question that I'm being asked? That's, that's Probably in there. Okay. Yes. Is the answer. It should. The, to me, the debate is when it should. Yes, it should. You bet it should. 
In the 1840s, should the buying, selling, and trading of slaves had been considered a crime? Yes. Yes. Was, was American culture moved to the point of acknowledging the personhood of blacks? That such an endeavor could realistically be fulfilled? No. That's why we had a civil war. No was the answer. I think... Well... I don't think feminism is a valid belief system just on its face. Okay? I don't. I'm also, though, if someone wants to partner with me and doesn't accept all of my principles or premises, I'm happy partnering with them, especially if we're talking about saving lives. Until you demand that I sacrifice my principles, then the answer is no. To me, you're having a debate here that you've skipped a step. To me, this is the next debate you have. I mean, we've still got people that believe if they have an ectopic pregnancy in Tennessee, they're going to get prosecuted with a crime. All right. I mean, I saw a woman just tweet out, oh, hey, I was surprised. I mean, I had an ectopic pregnancy in Tennessee and I had to go to the hospital taken care of and wasn't no one arrested. I mean, you still need to win the debate about when does life begin. Roe was overturned, not on the merits of that question, but on the merits of its constitutional shallowness, its, its legal vapidness, its, jur- its, its judicial overreach. Not on the basis that the justice is right, and you know what? We've all seen a, f- a 4K three-dimensional, modern, 21st century ultrasound in full color of a living, breathing human interacting with its mother in her womb, and it's pretty obvious that that is a person. Is that what they wrote? No. That's not what they wrote. Did they write a pretty badass constitutional opinion taking down Roe? Yes. Yes. Did they write a homily apologetic in defense of when life begins? No. No, they did not. So to me, you have to win that argument before you have the argument that you're trying to have. People that don't accept when life begins aren't going to be interested in prosecuting things that they don't believe are life. So I think you're trying to have an argument that's the next phase of the operation. We still have not won the when does life begin argument. We're just having arguments that actually beg that debate when for 40 years we didn't even do that, right? Things like heartbeats and stuff like that are at least begging that debate, but we haven't won that debate. We have to win. We still need to win the debate about when does life begin before you can have the punitive phase of the operation that you're trying to have later on to ensure that it doesn't happen ever again. All right, that'll do it for today's program. This is an overtime you don't want to miss. I promise you for Blaze TV subscribers, go to blazetv.com slash days to become one if you're not. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.